Thank you, Amy, for that uh, ministry of music. And Amy, um, could you sing that at the end of the service also? Okay. So guys, if uh, heads up, I'd like to use that as a closing application this morning's message. So if you turn me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Today we have a consideration on the adequacy or competency or ability to do a job. We are in the very initial stages of an election in the primaries. And we are trying to choose a president. And each candidate that comes is being scrutinized as to whether or not they would be a suitable president. Do they have the ability, the experience, the knowledge, the wisdom, the insight, the characteristics that are necessary to be president of the United States? And one of the issues that people speak of is gravitas. Do they have gravitas? Are they viewed as a weighty person? Do they carry themselves with presidential dignity. Can you envision this person as a president? Well, as the Corinthians looked at the Apostle Paul, he didn't seem to have the gravitas. They really couldn't see him as an apostle. They didn't think he had the abilities, the talents that were necessary. They didn't think that he was equipped in order to be an apostle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, Paul says, For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. No gravitas, no weightiness, no no apostle-like conduct. His presence is unimpressive. He, He doesn't come across as a strong, authoritative figure in which you can have a great deal of confidence. uh, confidence. And they say his speech is contemptible. Uh, We know from church history that he spoke with a very bad lisp. And they really didn't enjoy listening to this man. Not only that, but they lost respect for Paul. They began to look at themselves and put them above the Apostle Paul. And so, so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. That's how the Corinthians viewed the situation. You're distinguished. We're without honor. You're strong. We're weak. So how does Paul respond to charges against his inadequacy? That he's not capable. That he is not sufficient. That he doesn't have the ability that's necessary to be an apostle. Answer? Paul confirms his own inadequacy and affirms the sufficiency of Christ. 
That's our simple outline this morning. Paul confirms his own inadequacy and affirms the sufficiency of Christ. This morning I was going to look at verses 12 to 17, but this message got so long that I stopped at verse 15. And we'll take up the rest next week. So this morning, Paul confirms his own inadequacy and affirms the sufficiency of Christ. First, Paul confirms his own inadequacy. Once again, Paul is not ashamed to allow the Corinthians to see his weakness. If you look at verses 12 and 13, it says this, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit. Once again, we are allowed to see the inner conflict that is going on in the mind and body of the Apostle Paul. As he narrates this simple little thought, he tells us that in verse 12, he had come to Troas. Now, when I came to Troas. And when he came to Troas, the ministry was going well there. Notice that he came for the gospel of Christ. And when a door was opened for me in the Lord. So, he went to preach the gospel. And he says, a door was opened for me. Meaning that he was meeting with success. People were coming to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The ministry was going well. However, however, Titus failed to meet Paul there as planned. Verse 13. I have no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. Titus was supposed to meet Paul in Troas. And Titus had been dispatched to go to Corinth to find out how the Corinthians were doing and to share with them the word of God. Paul is at Troas. And as he's awaiting Titus's return, he's ministering the gospel and doing so with success. However, Titus wasn't there. And Paul waited and Titus still didn't come. And all this time, he says in verse 13, I had no rest for my spirit. I had no rest for my spirit. He couldn't get out of his heart and mind all of the troubles and difficulties that were going on in Corinth. He had written to them about the need to discipline that individual that we looked at last week. The man that had a sexual relationship with his own father's wife. There were all kinds of strife and division going on. And... Paul is beside himself in wondering what in the world is happening at Corinth. And now, what happened to Titus? Why isn't he back yet? Did something happen? Did something untoward take place in Corinth or in his travels? Did he ever reach there? And all kinds of questions start going through the mind of the Apostle Paul. And not just questions but fears. Questions and fears. So much so that they became overwhelming to him. So much so that 
he couldn't function any longer. So much so that he couldn't continue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless you think I'm reading too much into a simple little phrase here. Listen to Paul's own description about his situation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, it says, But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So he's talking about God's comfort, and he said, Boy, God comforted me when Titus came. But notice how Paul describes himself before Titus came. Depressed. Depressed. Not my word, his word. Depressed. While he's at Troas, he is depressed. Things are going well. Outwardly, you would think that there's just nothing but stuff to rejoice in. People are getting saved. What more can he want? But inwardly, he's a wreck. He is a wreck. And as a result, because Paul was so concerned about Titus and the spiritual welfare of the Corinthians, that he decided not to stay any longer at Troas, verse 13 of chapter 2. But taking my leave of them, he left and he went on to Macedonia. End of verse 13. I went on to Macedonia. Once again, Paul opens himself up to criticism. Remember, these, he's writing to a people that are questioning whether or not he really has what it takes to be an apostle. Does this guy have the moxie? He seems weak, they said. So what does Paul do? He shares his weakness. He says, when I was at Troas, he said, I was depressed. Wasn't that a sign of weakness to leave a fruitful ministry and the opportunity to preach a gospel in order to simply try to find Titus? Isn't this another example of Paul's anxiety and inability to function properly under pressure? Paul says, if such a concern is viewed as weakness, then I will gladly boast in my weakness. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I'll boast about my weakness. Paul says he's not ashamed of that weakness. He's not ashamed that he couldn't function. That he had to leave and and go in order to find Titus. For Paul, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Application. Here we learn of the pressure of ministry that few people are aware of. Namely, the anxiety that manifests itself as a result of concern over the spiritual well-being of others. And anxiety even in the midst of success. People may wonder, why would somebody be depressed when everything outwardly seems to be going so well? Paul's ministry is being fruitful. People are being saved. He's in a situation where he's not persecuted, where things are are going well. Externally, everything's fine. But internally, things are quite different. Internally, he's a wreck. And he's a wreck 
because of the sinful condition of the Corinthians. And the sense of helplessness to do anything about it. The best he could do was send Titus to try to give them a letter and hope that they would respond in a positive way. He was waiting with bated breath to find out how that letter was received and how Titus was received. And as day went upon day and there was still no answer, all there was was this unrelenting concern, burden, anxiety in his heart and life. What about these Corinthians? Sure, I'm over here ministering to these people and that's fine, but what about these people over here? There was an overwhelming sense in Paul's life of inadequacy. Look at verse 16. The last statement. I'll unpack the rest in a little bit. But the last statement. And who is adequate for these things? Paul had a tremendous awareness of his inadequacy in order to do the work of the Lord. Paul was more aware of his weaknesses than the Corinthians were. When they were finding fault with Paul, they weren't bringing up anything he didn't know. When they said his speech was contemptible, do you think it became a revelation to Paul that, you know, I got this lisp that I've had all my life that I have to deal with? Do you think that was a new aha moment for Paul? Oh, really? My speech is a problem? Man, he always had to deal with that. He was always a small guy. And he had been beaten many, many times. And as a result, was virtually a cripple. And so he could hardly get around. His bodily presence was weak. He looked physically weak. He wasn't this big, strapping, healthy guy. He was a little, bald-headed, Jewish fellow that could hardly maneuver anymore, had bad eyesight, which we find out in the book of Galatians, and had this disturbing spirit. And so I look at him, and they say, and he's got a lisp. And they say, can this be an apostle? If anybody understood his weaknesses, it was Paul. He knew his weaknesses. A sense of inadequacy. He was tougher on himself than they were on Paul. However, Paul not only recognized his own inadequacy, but the inadequacy of anyone to do the work of the Lord. Look at verse 16. And who is adequate for these things? Who is sufficient in their own strength? Who, by their own power? Who, by their own might? Who, by their own expertise? Whom, by their own ability to speak? Who is able to accomplish the work of the Lord? Here, the deficiency of the Corinthians was displayed. They were deficient in their understanding. They recognized Paul's inadequacy, but they did not recognize their own. Paul said, we are fools for Christ, 
but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, we are weak. Nor did they recognize the inadequacy of the false apostles that were ministering among them. There were a lot of people that came to Corinth who were false teachers that are mentioned in verse 17. People who are going to be uh, peddling the gospel, which we'll get to next week. But they viewed these people as, as strong. As strong. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.5, I do not think I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. I love the way the, the NIV translates that. Super apostles. Uh, that's what they thought they were. Corinthians looked at these guys and they looked at Paul and said, Ah, man, I don't even know if that guy's an apostle. But look at these super apostles. Man, these, these guys, are, they got it all together. They had their act together. They're big, they're strong, they're authoritative. We find out in Corinthians, they even hit people in the face. They submit people. You know, they are strong. Application. Here we see the blindness of the Corinthians. And not only their blindness, but our blindness as well. For they were impressed by these so-called super apostles. Paul said, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are weak, but, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. These super apostles were finding fault with Paul and his ministry and the work at Corinth. They were saying, you know, if, if only we were in charge. If only everybody followed us. You know, we, we'd get rid of all these problems. We wouldn't have the strife. We wouldn't have the division. They're hitting people in the face. You want church discipline? Huh. Man, we would create order here pretty fast if you let us in charge. And there were a lot of people that that was very appealing to. Yeah, let's get the sheriff back in town. Let's get somebody to beat this place into order. Let's get somebody who's going to stand up and, and, and be followed. There are a lot of people that want a strong leader. There are a lot of churches that enjoy legalism and having someone tell them constantly what to do and not to do. I had a seminary professor that he was talking about government and the life of the church and he said that his wife grew up in a church in where the pastor at a congregational meeting would approve people's vacations. Because uh, he would... Uh, Say, we got too many people leaving this week. We, we got to man our Sunday school. Nobody else can take vacation that weekend. And so people would bring their calendars and he would pass on uh, people's vacation. There's an element of people that enjoy that. That like that. That view that as strength. That view that as leadership. That view that as standing strong for the things of God. And Paul was saying, who in their own strength is adequate
for these things. That's the weakness of the Corinthians. Not that they saw Paul's inadequacy, but they didn't see their own. And they didn't see the inadequacy of these false teachers. Why? Because they hid it. They didn't reveal it. They weren't going to talk about their fears. They weren't going to talk about their losses. They weren't going to be honest about their inabilities. Nobody can reach into the heart of an individual and change their attitude and their life. You can only do so much by strength. You can only do so much by intimidation. And ultimately, it certainly isn't going to bring priests and, and unity. But they hid from the Corinthians their inadequacy. Paul flaunted it to a people that already viewed him as adequate. He's standing there and saying, you don't even understand how inadequate I am. Let me tell you what happened to Troas. Why? To draw attention not to himself, but to God. Notice verse 14. Paul affirms the sufficiency of Christ. However inadequate Paul is, Christ is sufficient. Verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. Thanks be to God. People, you need to focus not on me, you need to focus on God. What Paul needed to do was not to focus on himself, but focus upon God. And what we need to do is not focus upon others, but focus upon God. And not focus upon ourselves, but focus upon God. Because who is adequate? The answer is nobody. But Christ is sufficient for all. And so we're to focus upon him. What Paul cannot do on his own, he is fully equipped and enabled and empowered by God to do. Paul had a very successful ministry. But his success was enabled by God. Not his own. I don't know if I want to share this, but I'll share my own weakness and inadequacy. When I was uh, doing some doctor work at a biblical seminary, one of the things that uh, I had to do was uh, take a, a Briggs and Myers uh, test. Uh, it's, it's the most elaborate of uh, those tests that uh, try to determine your psychological profile, etc., etc., etc. Pages and pages long. And I did it. And uh, at the end, they tell you what you're good for. And uh, I came out, and, and I didn't, nobody had to tell me this. I knew it. Uh, they, I came out as being an introvert off the chart. I mean, I was as introverted as introverts get. Not outgoing, talking people stuff. So, the person who administered this test said to me, I can't understand it. You shouldn't be a pastor. Uh, you don't have any of, this, uh, of the psychological makeup to be a pastor. Thank you. But, but I knew what they were telling me. I knew that. I'm not a very outgoing person. It is effort for me. I have a tendency to be quiet. I like to be by myself. That doesn't mean I hate people. I just, I get very uncomfortable. 
in one-on-one situations. But I know that's what God wants me to do. I know that's where I'm to be. And by the grace of God, I've been able to pastor for 30 years because God gives an ability that isn't mine naturally. I was glad somebody didn't tell me that 30 years ago. Don't go into the ministry. Paul recognized his inadequacy. We're all inadequate. And he says, but God calls us to triumph. But so too today. The success of ministry is not a result of the abilities of the minister, but the grace and power of God. When success is measured by the proper yardstick, and that's the key, when success is measured by the proper yardstick, such as conversions, people being born again, repentance, spiritual growth and development in someone's life. Who is sufficient for that? Answer is nobody. Nobody can do that. Nobody can argue, no matter how persuasive or how eloquent they are, nobody can argue someone into the kingdom of God. That takes a work of the Spirit. Oh, you can manipulate, as we're going to see in verse 17. You can get people to come forward. You can get people to raise hands, but you can't create faith. You can intimidate. You can manipulate. You can get people to make our responses, but you can't create faith. You can get human results, but you can't get godly results. That's 17, 18, and 19. Peddling the gospel. Nobody can do the work of God. Only God can do the work of God. So, Paul praises God for what he has done, but thanks be to God. Rather than praise himself, he praises God. For what? For two things. First, because God is always leading Paul, verse 14, who always leads us. And who always leads us in a triumphal parade. And I want to slow down and look at this illustration because it's kind of strange to us. But in the culture, it's a powerful one. Verses 14, 15, and 16. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. That's the NIV. The uh, NAS who leads us in triumph in Christ. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, the other an aroma from life to life, and who are adequate for these things. The imagery was of the celebratory parades of Rome after great military victories. That's why I really like the way the NIV translates that, who always leads us in triumphal procession. It's not just that he leads us in triumph. He leads us in a a victory parade, if you will, would be a, a modern translation. He leads us in a victory parade. Now, when the Roman emperors would have a great military victory, a campaign that was successful, oftentimes there would be a parade. And in this parade, the emperor would ride out in front as the symbolic figure, the one who had ultimately been responsible for the victory, followed by the prisoners that were taken, followed by the army that had taken 
those prisoners. And part of the festivities would be to just fill the air with these very costly fragrances to demonstrate the wealth of the Roman Empire. You know, we might shoot off all kinds of fireworks in a parade to demonstrate wealth and, and uh, beauty, etc. So we would send off fireworks. They didn't send off fireworks. They sent fragrances into the air, very costly fragrances that would you know, dissipate in the air. So they had to use tons of them. And it was intended to be symbolic of wealth and the sweet smell of victory. As here would be this emperor parading out front, followed by these prisoners that were groveling after him, and then the mighty army coming after those soldiers. To the soldiers, that fragrance in the air was of life. It was a victory. It was of power. To the captives, that fragrance was a symbol of their death. For many times at the end of the parade, they would just massacre loads of these prisoners. They were marching to their death. So the analogy supplied. In the analogy, the fragrance that was being spread in the air was the knowledge of Christ. Notice verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in this victory parade in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. So Paul says, we're on a victory parade. Christ is out in front. And the aroma that is being cast into the air, these fragrances, are the knowledge of Christ everywhere. That's his duty. To take the knowledge of Christ everywhere. That knowledge of Christ comes like a conquering army. Some join forces with the army that is, believe in and submit to Christ. Those individuals are being saved. Verse 15. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Some resist and perish. That is, those who refuse to believe and submit to Christ. Verse 15. And among those who are perishing. So you have this victory parade. Some have been won over. They're part of the army. Some are the captives. They are going to be subdued. They're going to be overcome by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to ultimately perish. And Paul says all of them are engulfed in this, this fragrance, which is the knowledge of Christ. In this analogy, Paul is out conquering in union with Christ. Verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ. It's Christ's triumph. God's Word is prevailing. God's Word is conquering. Saving those who believe, condemning those who refuse to believe. It is Christ and Christ alone who conquers and gives life to all those who submit to Him. 
and destruction to all those who refuse to follow Christ. That is why he says in the end of verse 16, who is adequate for these things? He's a mere soldier. He's a mere one of many. It's Christ that deserves the glory. It's his power. It is his sufficiency. He is the one that's getting the victory. So, no one is adequate. Only Christ. That's the imagery here. Actually, verses 15 to 17 are the practical application of that. As I said, we don't have time to get there this morning. So let me just say these few things. First, no one is able to save a soul. Only Jesus can. No one is able to save a soul. Only Jesus can. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is not because of the prowess of the person who shared the gospel with them. It's not that they were so persuasive. It's not that they were so good looking. It's not that they were so intelligent. It is not that they were so inspirational, thoughtful, considerate, loving, kind, harsh, manipulative. No one can take credit for someone having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. All we do is share the gospel. That's the only power we got to share the word of God. After that, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. No one can grant understanding of the Spirit, only Jesus. No one can bring about repentance. You may be able to tell a sad story. You may be able to move somebody to tears. You may be able to manipulate them to make them some kind of decision. But nobody can reach into the heart of an individual and change that heart. And cause them to really come to a place where they grieve over their own sinfulness and want a relationship with God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus Christ. Paul unabashedly declares his weakness so that they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This isn't about Paul and the super apostles. This is about God. And the kind of Trust that we need to have in Him. Our confidence is not to be in our abilities or other people's ability, but rather God's sufficiency. The Apostle Paul had times when his inadequacy overwhelmed him. Truly overwhelmed him. Where he was at wit's end. He was at despair. When he was sitting in Troas, thinking about what was happening in the church at Corinth, he said, what can I do? I did everything I could. I sent a letter. I sent Titus. What more could I do? He's saying to himself. And the answer is, there was nothing more he could do. What did the Corinthians want him to do? What did they think he could do? 
What do they think these super apostles could do? The answer is nothing. It required a work of God. And so Paul tells them this so that they will rely upon God. So they will trust in God. So that they will look to God to find the source, the adequacy, the sufficiency. It's all in God's hands. We need to understand our inadequacies and everyone else's inadequacy. We're going to have this outreach in May. And maybe you're sitting there saying, you know, I always feel inadequate about sharing the gospel. Maybe you at work have opportunities, but you say to yourself, I'm inadequate. Of course you're inadequate. Who's sufficient? Who has the ability? Who has the expertise? Let me tell you my own personal story. When I was in high school, I actually had a great desire to share my faith. When I was in senior in high school, I carried my Bible everywhere I went. Hopefully, the people would ask me a question or, or something. And I just used it as, as my tool to make a, a break with people. It kind of identified me. Carried my Bible, study hall, gym class, wherever. I always had my Bible, my Bible with me. And I always found that people would ask me questions I didn't have the answer to. And then I graduated from high school, and I desired to be a pastor. But my pastor counseled me not to go to Bible college. He thought that was redundant to going to seminary. And he encouraged me to go to a secular college. So I did. I went to Kutztown College. And while I was involved at Kutztown, I was heavily involved with InterVarsity, as well as my home church. And InterVarsity, one of the things they would do is they had a literature table every Friday where they have tracts and Bibles and stuff set up in the student union. And I used to man that, that literature table every Friday. And people would come and, you know, they'd some harass you, some want to know seriously about things. But most people wanted to stump you and so on. And, you know, they didn't take much to stump me. I didn't have the answers and I didn't have the ability and, and it frustrated me. And so after two years of this, I said, that's enough of that. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to a Bible college where I get all the answers. So I went to Bible college and took a course in evangelism, sharing your faith, okay? Took a course in apologetics about uh, how to answer all these, these difficulties. Took theology courses, took Bible courses, got out, and guess what? Still didn't have all the answers. Still wasn't able to, to talk somebody into just believing in Lord Jesus Christ. So what I do? I went off to seminary. I took three more years, got a Master of Divinity. So I would come out and be adequate. Came out, still don't have all the answers, etc., etc., etc. So what do I do? I go back, enter a doctoral program, take more classes, more things. And guess what? I'm still inadequate. And there's nobody who doesn't know that better than me. I can't argue somebody in the kingdom. I can't persuade somebody to repent. There are so many times in dealing with people 
I go away so frustrated. Why don't they see? Why don't they understand? What could I have done differently? What could I have said? How could I have responded? What will make the difference? And the only thing that's keeping me sane in all these years is the certain knowledge that not only am I inadequate, everyone is inadequate. It's the power of God. So after I get done feeling sorry for myself, and after I get done feeling frustrated, I get down on my knees and pray for people. Because it's only the Spirit of God. You need to know that. You need to know that. Our simple responsibility is to share the gospel. Don't be intimidated. We're all inadequate. The success is not us. It's the power of the Word of God. People will come to faith. Yeah. Many times I've recognized my inadequacy. But by the grace of God, I've led a lot of people to place faith and trust in Him as well. God has used me. But, it's the grace of God. It's not me. It's His Word. It's His Word. So, don't be self-confident, but be confident in God. Share your faith. And when you see other people come to faith, don't praise people. Don't try to mimic their techniques. Don't try to ascertain the secret formula or the pragmatic decision of what makes it work. But understand, no one is sufficient for these things. It's only through Christ that we triumph. And he delights in using small, bald, crippled, lisping people to do it. People that are so introverted that they find it just incredibly socially awkward to talk to anyone. God makes us this way to bring glory to Him. The power is in Him, not us. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank You for Your great grace and power and Your sufficiency and Your sufficiency alone to do Your work. O Lord, You cause all things to triumph through your cross. Lord, thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to gladly bear it. May we identify with Christ. May we have the aroma of Christ as we make known the knowledge of Christ everywhere. And may we realize it is your sufficiency and not ours that is going to bring any success to the proclamation of the word of God. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, in order to just close with the emphasis 
really on that cross of Christ. Amy, would you come back and sing that once more? Because that's it. It's, a, it's the simple message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.